Hello and welcome to Horror Court Trash Over, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash to pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And it's original versus remake time again. Yay. Woo! Um, so, uh, what's interesting about this month is uh, we've got a film where... the uh, I mean, the last two episodes we've done on this... Both original films, I've gave five stars. This isn't quite a five-star film for the original. No. But it's also not a terrible film. Um, and the remake is uh, absolute trash. It's awful. <laughs> Fucking awful. We could have done a whole episode on the remake alone. I was um, thinking that, actually, whilst we were watching it. I, said, I thought this would make a good actual episode. Yeah. Because it's shit. So, this month, we're talking about... Um, a film based on the ever-popular urban legend of babysitters being stalked. We're talking about When a Stranger Calls. Yes. And um, starting off with your votes, we had 83% vote for the original as the best film. Mm-hmm. And 17% voted for the remake. I think that's too high, 17%. Yeah, guys, come on, really? Have <laughs> you not seen the original? <laughs> um, yeah, so... Both films are about a babysitter being stalked by um, an unknown assailant. Um, With the original, it's very different to the remake in the way that it's 15 minutes at the start and at the end of the babysitter stalker. uh, And then a whole middle act based on the killer on the run, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, essentially. The remake is a remake of the first 15 minutes of the original. And it desperately tries to just push it out as long as it can to make it a full-length film, and it does not work Yeah, it's only, like, 82 minutes long, so it barely even makes an hour and a half. Yeah. Thank God. Um, Bit trivia for both. So, the original was released in 1979 and directed by Fred Walton. Uh, It was made on a $1.5 million budget, and it was a big success. It made its money back. Quite a bit, actually. Yeah, yeah. I think it. I think it was a, a successful film. It, it was one of those word of mouth films. I'd say. Yeah. Well, it was actually. It was originally a short film, uh, and that is essentially your first fifteen minutes. Yeah. Uh, but then you know, Halloween happened, and that was a massive success, and of course you know with success. Comes more success, and... Uh, well, with success comes... Um, co- rip-offs. Not, copy- <laughs> well, not rip-offs, essentially. Um, but very, very similar films. Yeah, if anything, this probably rips off Black Christmas more. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the urban legend was around before Black Christmas. Yeah. Um, so... It, it's, a, it's a difficult one, because you, you can't really say, oh, it's a rip-off of... Black Christmas, when it, it's just kind of the same tale told two different ways. I suppose, yeah. Um, just, uh, Black Christmas does it a lot better. Yeah. A lot better. Yeah, because Black Christmas even has the whole uh, middle art thing where it's like a different film. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it, like you said, it does it in a much better way. Yeah. Um, the star of the film, Tony Beckley, was actually terminally ill through production, and you can actually really tell watching it. Um, yeah, that's true. Yeah, he, he does not look like a wild man in this film. 
he plays Kurt Duncan, the, the killer, and he is actually based on a college uh, friend of Fred Walton, the director. Uh, apparently the guy would just enter a room and people would feel uncomfortable when he's there. Oh, wow. So, uh, it's very much a Wes Craven style thing of basing someone, <laughs> a character on someone you didn't like. That's true. <laughs> um, uh, Tony Beckley became fascinated with Carol Kane uh, whilst on the set and actually became quite fixated on her talent. To the point that he had a nervous breakdown about her. Oh. Which kind of adds a little more to uh, his character being so creepy. Yeah, yeah. And not being a well man. I'm yeah, sure. yeah. Um, so the apparently the original teaser trailers gave away the twist ending uh, and basically gave away far too much. And that's a, a common factor for both of these films. Uh, like the trailers just basically give away the whole film. Yeah, it. I suppose it's a difficult one. Um, with the and we'll get into this but with the remake it feels like the characters are aware yeah. <laughs> of what's going on it's like the characters have watched the teaser trailer yeah um, in the original I, I suppose the audience know mm-hmm. the urban legends back, back at the time you know it was a fairly well I mean you look at the opening act of the first film yeah. and Carol Kane doesn't know she's being stalked you can tell no, it but gradually the audience in oh yeah yeah, yeah. The, the audience will know yeah. it's like the whole Carrie um, yeah. thing We the trailer for Carrie as what well, gave away everything yeah but the, the poster pretty much gave away everything mm-hmm. so how much it's hard to tell now in 2020 because I mean I was aware of Carrie before I'd ever mm. watched it as a film how many people were aware of the novel of Carrie before yeah that's true and was was the whole selling point the fact that this is going to happen yeah at the end um I, I don't know I don't I'm assuming you know people were aware of the story the stalk babysitter and maybe that was a selling point for it. Yeah, I think uh, as well, like we mentioned, obviously the similarities to Halloween and uh, and Black Christmas. I think a lot of people would have gone to see this film because they wanted to see something similar to Halloween. So I assume the trailer made it look similar to it. Yeah, um, yeah. Know, you know, to get more audience Probably. members in it. Yeah. Um, famous critic Roger Ebert actually described the film as sleazy and wouldn't actually give it a proper review. I don't get that. I wouldn't say this film's sleazy at all. No, it's a, it's a weird. E- even by nineteen seventy nine sense. I, I know, yeah. Like I don't think it's that sleazy. Had he not seen Salo? Yeah. <laughs> had he not seen anything, it. any of a horror film released in the seventies? Yeah. Even Halloween has its sleazy moments. Like, come on, seriously? It's... Yeah. I mean, there's no gratuitous news. No. Or violence. I'm going to even go out there and say this is probably the least sleaziest film I've seen from the 70s. Horror-wise. Horror-wise. <laughs> like, e- even some, like Jaws, like the opening to that's quite sleazy. It's... Yeah. You know, uh, I, yeah. I don't get where he was coming from. But, I mean, I think he's always been quite popular for his opinions. Am I... What do you know of Roger? Well, as, a, as a critic. He was, yeah, well, I mean, yeah. Yeah. What I mean is... What I mean is his opinion on horror films. He like, was... Yeah, I think he was um, easily shocked, mm. I think. Um, from what I recall, there's quite a few films where I've been like, oh, that's pretty tame. And he's been, you know, 
yeah. calling them sleazy. So it, it's not the only film that he's sort of described in this way that maybe wouldn't be justified by today's standards. And uh, finally, for trivia for the original, this was originally a PG, but it was changed to an R rating for the unsettling atmosphere. Yeah, and I think a lot of films do that. Mm. You know, um, the very famous one is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. Where Toby Hooper was going through a PG. Now, that's quite a... That isn't a particularly subtle film. No. So I don't think he ever would have gotten a PG. No, definitely not. Um, but then you get films like Poltergeist, that was a PG. Yeah, yeah but that's Steven Spielberg, though, isn't yeah. it? Uh, Steven's, again, it's well known that Steven Spielberg um, could wrangle a PG for a film yeah. that's certainly not PG. Um, case in point, Raiders of the Last Ark, mm. when the uh, Nazis' did, face melts. But didn't that create the PG-13 rating? Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, they pretty much created the PG-13 for Steven Spielberg. Speaking of PG-13, let's get on to the remix trivia. Oh, <laughs> did you say remix? Remake. Oh, it's a remix. Um, released in 2006, directed by Simon West on a $15 million budget. Where the fuck did that go? House. Yeah, yeah, yeah suppose. Buy the fucking house? Um... Honestly, this was a success. I'm struggling to believe now that this was theatrically released. Okay, I'm going to clear this up now before Chris mentions it. Yes, 15-year-old me did enjoy this film. I, I had a terrible taste. But then, you know, I was basically getting into horror films properly. I hadn't seen a lot. And, yeah, I used to think this was a good film. I am... Um, not on that same level of thought today. Let's put it that way. No. Like I said, it was a success somehow. It didn't get a sequel though, because obviously it was a critical bomb. But there was a sequel in the line in in the uh, in the pipeline uh, called When a Stranger Returns. Yeah, I I do feel like they kept it open for a yeah. sequel. Uh, of course, there was a sequel to the original as well called When a Stranger Calls Back, uh, which we haven't seen, but we have heard it's meant to be the better film out of the three. Of them, um, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, uh, people love that film. From what I've seen, there's a bit more um, Carol Kane. Yeah. A bit more of that character. A bit more of that story, which is the, which for me is the story that I wanted in the original film. Yeah. And unfortunately, I got it in the in the remake, <laughs> but not quite how I wanted it. Yeah. So. Um, the killer in this film, uh, again, in the first film, we get his name, is Kirk Duncan. It was very much, almost becomes a character study on him. He's, he's the main focus of the first film. Mm. This film, the killer is just called Stranger. You, um, and you don't see his face until... No, he's played by Tommy Flanagan, but is voiced by Lance Henriksen because they weren't happy with Tommy Flanagan's voice. Um... It's only a remake. And they were happy with Lance Henriksen. Yeah. So again, it was only a remake of the first fifteen minutes of the original. Um, Camilla Bell is fucking terrible in this film, Oof. and she also turned down a role in the Black Christmas remake for this. I mean, it's lose lose love, I you know. Either way, her and I you're think, getting a terrible film. Yeah, I think the Black Christmas remake is ever so slightly better. Oh yeah. Ever yeah. so slightly. We were on about the 2006 remake. The... 
Oh my god. The latest one is the on the latest same level. One, no, the latest one is on the same level. The 2006 yes. remake is better than this. It's a lot more uh, entertaining. And that's the thing, you know, if it's going to be dumb fun, at least make it fun. Yeah. I mean, and the thing is, you know, this is released in the prime of remakes. Like we mentioned when we did our, our Nightmare on Elm Street episode, this was between 2000 and... God, what was the first major one? I suppose the first major one was Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but that was a good remake. Um, but if we say from that point, so we got from 2003 to 2010, it was just remake, 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 remake. And they, a lot of them followed the same formula as this film, and it's so generic. Yeah. So generic. You have your standouts, yeah. you have your Dawn of the Dead, your Texas Chainsaw Massacre, um, you know, Amateurville Horror... You my know, bloody Valentine's. My bloody Valentine. That was two thousand and nine. Yeah, yeah. That was all right. you know, you have your standouts. Even Friday the Thirteenth, we enjoyed that one. Yeah, that's um, okay. But then you have films like this, and um, Boogeyman, and Prom Night, that are just, uh, just cash-ins uh, on films that weren't really that big. I mean, you look at Prom Night. Why the fuck did I get a remake? You know, look at this. Did anyone even know the original existed? I th- uh, yeah, I suppose I suppose they ran out of all the big named ones. Mm. I mean, Nightmare on Elm Street was the last one. I mean, really, yeah, it was actually, yeah, and that's the one that but killed that, it all off. Yeah, but that had a lot of backlash for a long time. Yeah, it was after it was after Nightmare on Elm Street killed these remakes off that you started getting your better ones, and that's when like Fright Night came out, um, Suspiria, Child's Play, you know. Black Christmas is really the only bad remake we've seen in quite some time. Yeah. Because, you know, the people have started getting inventive with them and, and they've started getting good again. Um, and one thing about this, When a Stranger Calls is it's a good premise. Yeah. It's a good premise yeah. for a short film. It's been done to death, but it's a good premise. Yes, but it's a good premise for yeah. a sh- If that's how you're going to go about it... Mm. Because Black Christmas is a similar premise. Yeah. It, in fairness, it's just got the same twist. You know, in Black Christmas, they're not babysitters. Yeah. Um, it's it's different to that urban legend that existed mm-hmm. with the babysitter. They're not babysitters in Black Christmas. Um, but the premise is good for a short film. Yeah. And the first 15 minutes of When a Stranger Calls... The original are fantastic. Really, really good. Yeah. It's the rest of it that lets it down. And with the remake, it has to stretch that out so far. And it's it's also brainless and, you know, not, not in any way tense or suspenseful. But because they've had to stretch it out so far, it it just takes away from the story. Yeah, it does. It does. It it doesn't. This premise doesn't. It isn't for feature length films. No. Um. So uh, actually, that wasn't even a point I was making. So sorry. Um, <laughs> but the point I'm making is, and with a lot of these remakes, I think, you know, when a stranger calls. It's a fucking fantastic title for mm. a film. Yeah. yeah. I'd go watch that in mm. 2006. I, I'd go to the cinema. To, I, I yeah, didn't yeah. Um, because I was aware of the original. 
But if I wasn't aware of the original, mm-hmm. which maybe they were kind of hoping for, even though the film acts like the characters are aware of the <laughs> fucking original. Um, but When a Stranger Calls, what a great title for yeah. a film. And it worked. It, it made us money back. Absolutely. So, um, but on with the trivia, two months of... Uh, Camilla Bow had two months of weight training and learned how to run for this film. Worked out for her. Um, learned how to run. <laughs> AOL IM uh, promoted it by letting users talk to Jill and she had her own MySpace profile. Come on, 2000s. Oh, wow. <laughs> had her own MySpace profile. And it has a body count of six people. What do you think her song was on her MySpace? Oh, come on. It, you know it was fucking Ashley Simpson. The, um... On a Monday, I'm waiting. Pieces of me. Yeah. <laughs> no, I reckon it would have... Fall out, boy, sugar, we're going down. No, oh, that's too early. It's too no. early for that. Yeah. I reckon it would have been uh, maybe a little bit of Britney. Not So Yesterday by Hilary Duff. <laughs> <laughs> so Yesterday. That would have been a playlist. It would have been Britney... The Hilary Duff and Nasha Simpson. It's a shame Call Me Maybe wasn't around. <laughs> oh, dear. Right, so, it's your time. <laughs> what about a top eight friend? Shani oh, a top eight friend. had two well, fucking Tiffany friends. Tiffany wouldn't be in there. She hated one of them. <laughs> it would just be, uh, it would just be fucking Tessa Thompson. Yeah. Maybe Bobby because she, she you know, she's alright with him. He, he, she's yeah. angry at him one minute, then she likes him. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Chris, it's your time in the spotlight. You get the privilege of giving us the synopsis of the uh, better film. Okay, so the original film is essentially Carol Kane plays a. I was about to say a young <laughs> babysitter. Well, supposedly, um, she has I don't a pencil. Think Carol Kane was particularly young when she looked she like she was in her thirties. Um, but she's, a, I think, a high school student. <laughs> And she's going to babysit for this couple. Uh, it's her first time babysitting for them. They're off uh, to the restaurant and maybe the cinema afterwards. Uh, they won't be back till midnight. The kids are just getting over a cold. So she's been told not to disturb them too much. And to help herself to anything in the fridge and, you know, relax for the evening. So she's there and she's getting these calls. And they begin as quiet calls with just some breathing. And then the caller starts to ask her, has she checked on the children? Which she doesn't actually ever check on the children. She checks everything but the children. She checks everything (laughs) but the children. But anyway, got cold, you see, so... We need to get over them, don't wake them up. And these calls persist, and she eventually gets hold of the police because she's getting worried, and they say, we'll trace the call. Keep him on for a minute, and we'll trace the call. She manages to keep him on the line for a minute. The call is traced. The calls are coming from inside the house. She's told to leave straight away. She sees the shadow at the top of the stairs and she leaves the house to find Charles Durning there to um, arrest the killer because he has actually, in fact, killed the children upstairs and was waiting for her to go check on them so he could 
kill her. Great premise. Mm-hmm. Very, you know, very intense, very suspenseful. Wonderful. The middle, second act of the seven film. Seven years later. <laughs> seven years later, Charles Durning, uh, well, actually, excuse me, the killer, uh, Kurt... Kurt Duncan. Kurt Duncan has escaped from the mental institute or mental hospital that he was in. And Charles Durning, now a private investigator, has been asked by the couple whose children were murdered to find Kurt Duncan. I keep, keep, I keep trying to keep calling him Kurt Hansen. Who the fuck's Kurt Hansen? I have no idea. If he's not a porn star or anything, that'd be embarrassing. Uh, Call him Tony Beckley if you like. Tony Beckley, I know. I keep, uh, actually, in fairness, a lot of the time I I keep call people by their uh, actors and actresses' name. Well, anyway, Kurt is um, pretty much on the run, homeless. He meets Colleen Dewhurst in a bar, becomes a little creepy with her, gets beaten up. She takes a little bit of pity on him, doesn't she? Mm-hmm. Even though he's followed her home. He sort of lets himself into the flat. <laughs> she chucks him out. Yeah, but after a while. Yeah, She takes a, a coat off first. <laughs> yeah, but the thing... Anyway. <laughs> she don't know how to fucking shut or lock a door, for fuck's sake. <laughs> no wonder there's random men coming along. But yeah, she chucks him out. Piss off. Uh, Charles Durning still on the case, um, tracks Kurt to Colleen Dewhurst's apartment. Um, that's the last we've seen of Colleen Dewhurst. Um, and uh, yeah, he manages to find him. Well, it's a little bit cat and mouse, isn't it? It goes mm. on a while. This whole Charles Durning trying to find, find him, um, but he finds him at a homeless shelter. Yeah. And chases him and all that business. Kurt still manages to get away. Um, we then cut back to Carol Kane. Now, I've made that quite short. It's a big part of the film. Yeah. Charles Durning trying to catch him. And, yeah, um, it becomes a little... I think the idea is that he's, he's becoming a little obsessed with the case. Yeah, but it does Sort of in a Dr. Loomis sort of way. Yeah, Halloween. For me, it just doesn't delve deep enough into anything that it brings up. No, but then um, it gets back to the real film. But then it gets back to Carol Kane. She's got kids now, it's seven years later. She and still she's looks the exact same. She's got a couple of kids. <laughs> she looks exactly the same. She looks her age now. <laughs> and uh, she's a happy housewife and her husband. Um, Taking her out for dinner. Well, you know what's going to happen here, don't you? <laughs> they get the babysit around. Out to dinner. Might catch a movie afterwards. <laughs> and she gets a call at the restaurant. Have you checked the children? Well, it's Carol Kane. Of course she hasn't checked the fucking children. <laughs> she never once checked the children the whole film. And, uh, yeah. She has a breakdown in the restaurant. Returns home. There's nothing there. No one there. Calm down, love. She's trying to sleep. Can't sleep. She knows something's up. She knows Kurt Duncan is out of the mental hospital, which she probably should have known beforehand. Mm. You think she would have been one of the people... It's been a while. You'd think they would have told her 
Like, you know, the guy that tried to murder you? My is <laughs> out of the hospital now, so just be careful. Mm-hmm. You'd think, you know, but whatever. And um, she can't sleep. She knows something's up. And uh, she's perfectly correct, because it ain't her husband next to her in bed. It's Kurt Duncan. And uh, he tries to attack her and kill her. And Charles Durning turns up and gives him a few shots. End of film. Yes. Uh, Joe's husband's dead. No, we didn't mention He's not. He starts breathing. Oh, does he? Oh, okay, cool. Happy ending for Carol. (laughs) Now I have the pleasure of reading to you a brief history of When a Stranger Calls 2006. We open up with a first act, which is basically an orgy of foreshadowing. We get so much foreshadowing in this first act that it basically tells you the whole rest of the film. You could just turn it off after 20 minutes. So, we start off with a creepy phone call with a girl called Stacy. Although the killer's not really up on his knowledge of Stacy. He calls Alice at first and she's like, uh, yeah, that's not me. He's like, oh, oh uh, who's this then? So, uh, Lance Hamrickson's on the phone. You see a fairground. Um, we get the basic opening title from every other 2000s remake. Oh, God, Same yeah. font and everything. Uh, oh, God. Um, and then we see a man in the bedroom. We hear some screens and a balloon flies off. Balloon has absolutely fuck all to do with the rest of the film. Um, we <laughs> seen as fuck all to do with the Yeah, we get the uh, Charles Durning character uh, from the original. And uh, he's investigating the, the, the house. You see the body bags being taken out. They were originally going to show the children in the scene, uh, the corpses, but PG-13. Um, yeah, there's killers killed some kids. That would have been really jarring as well. Yeah, especially when the rest of the film's fucking tame and boring. It's, yeah. And you don't see Charles Dunn's character ever again in this film. Uh, we get evidence that Jill is... He's not in... actually... Sorry, he's not actually played by Charles Durning. No, it's not actually him. I actually think Charles Durning was dead by the... Yeah, it, it, they got a lookalike to play him. They did. Um, we then get introduced to Jill, um, played terribly by Camilla Bell, and uh, she is an athlete, and we know this because you see her running a circuit uh, around yeah, the school gym. It's really weird because the... The guys and uh, are playing on the basketball court, mm-hmm. and she's running like up towards the ceiling. I don't understand how that. Yeah, it's, it's, she's, like, yeah, high it's up in the room. It's, weird. it's just there to let us know she can run. Yeah. yeah. Um. So thanks for that film. Uh, we need to know it a little later on. Um, so Jill doesn't want to talk to Bobby because he like totally kissed her best friend, and she's not okay with it. Fuming. And, uh, yeah, she's not happy at all. Uh, we're introduced to Tessa Thompson, who, of course, plays Valkyrie in the MCU. Tessa Thompson is an amazing actress. She's one of my faves. Don't know why she ever agreed to be in this piece of shit. Pointless. Uh, you know, early years for her. Bless her. Um, but, yeah, she's, uh, she's having a chat with Jill. And Jill's still fuming about Bobby. And then we get introduced to Katie Cassidy, star of our first Originals vs. Remake episode for Nightmare on Elm Street. Here she is again. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. So, oh, wow. Katie Cassidy is... Sack the agent. Yeah, she's Jill's best friend. And um, it turns out she's the one who kissed Bobby. Bitch. And, uh, yeah, the two better actresses share the screen time with Jill, and then her privilege is gone, and we move on. Uh, agent Coulson from the MCU is Jill's dad. So, Marvel clearly watched this film and thought, do you know what? Let's give these people some jobs. Um... 
But we find out that Jill has a dad, you know, something we didn't find out in the first, in the original. And uh, he's grounded her and he's making her go babysitting. To pay back her phone bill. Yeah. Fucking bitch didn't pay her phone bill. Or ran it up, whatever she did. Um, and then we're introduced to the parents of the kids babysitting. We get the same script as the first film, um, fridge, cinema, restaurant, whatever. Um, the parents of the kids also can't act. Uh, as well and they show they show Jill around the house and they point out all the things she'll need to know for later on in the film which is being stalked <laughs> like every little thing like the guest house the list of phone numbers the garden all these things apart from Rosa the maid yeah they don't think to mention that she no. exists um, and then as we get on to our second act which consists of Jill being bored and nosy and acting scared of every little noise um, throughout this entire act we get the really creepy score even when nothing's happening um, Jill starts trying on jewellery for some reason um, because you know that's the thing apparently she starts trying on jewellery in the house checking out the fireplace which we find out is an electric fire that shoots out fire Ooh. Um, TV can't, won't work um, yeah just boring shit she starts walking around the house and acting like someone's watching her, even though there's no indication of that at all. No. Um, and then she realises that Rosa exists, and Rosa is the biggest racial stereotype you'll ever see. Yeah, it's a little offensive. <laughs> She's the maid from every 2000s horror film. Um, and then there's a bit of heavy breathing on a, on a phone call. She gets a phone call, a bit of heavy breathing. Uh, Tessa Thompson gives her a call. Then Rosa goes missing five minutes after she's introduced. And we get loads of fake out jump scares, including cats, uh, just like all little things here and there. Um, ice. Ice, the ice machine in the in freezer. The freezer. Yeah. Uh, and then she gets a phone call and someone says, is everything okay? And she's like, oh my God, is, is that you, doctor? Is that, is that you? Um, and she obviously thinks it's the most terrifying thing ever. She gets another phone call. This time it's a prank call. And he's like, what are you wearing? And she's like, uh, boots and a parka. I was like, no, you're not. But anyway, Spoiler alert, she ain't wearing a she's, parka. No. Um, and I don't think there's a boots either. Uh, Jill starts heavy breathing because she thinks someone's, you know, following her still. Um, she's acting like she knows the plot. Then Katie Cassidy turns up. Uh, they have a boring chat about her kissing Bobby. The scene is absolutely pointless. She leaves. Uh... Katie Cassidy actually attempts to leave the house altogether, um, but we get a fast camera zoom in, which tells us that she's dead. <laughs> yeah. Jill gets another phone call now from Bobby, who confirms that it was his friend Cody who pranked her. And she's like, but I've been getting loads of calls. Was it just him? No, bitch, no. You got one of a call. Calm the fuck down. And then Jill gets a call from a man on Tiffany's phone. And he's like, this isn't Tiffany. Um, so then she goes on a phone call spree and she calls up um, her dad, the kid's mother, the, the one that she's babysitting, uh, Tessa Thompson, the restaurant where the kid's parents are at, and the police. And honestly, the scariest thing about this entire film is this bitch's use of phones. <laughs> no wonder she ran up her phone bill because she's done it for this family. Like... I think someone stalking their house is probably the least of their worries. Wait till they see the phone bill. It's going to be massive. 
In fairness, none of them actually answered during this period, no. apart from the police. Um, and then she gets, a, after this, um, when she's on the phone to the police, she says she's been getting calls every 15 minutes. You fucking liar. You've had one weird call on an, on an unknown line yeah. and one weird call on Katie Cassidy's phone. That's it. And you didn't even fucking mention that. You didn't mention that a man had your friend's phone. Yeah. That's the most important part. Yeah. But yes, because she's not the brightest character. She doesn't mention that. And then she finds Rosa's handbag and she gets scared by a coat. <laughs> like she sees a coat on the door behind her and she thinks it's a person. Uh, and then she gets the have you checked the children call. So she does. You know, I mean, that's one thing that uh, Carol Kane didn't do. Yeah. You know, she just to her. She actually did check on the children. She checks the kids and they are asleep, which is for the best because they can't fucking act, as we find out later on. Uh, she gets another call and he says, how are the children? And then that sends her into overdrive. <laughs> Runs around, shuts the curtains, calls the police back, and they tell her, keep him on the phone for a minute and we'll trace the call, like the original. Uh, they ask her for the address of the place and she finds it uh, on an open page in a magazine somehow. Um, and then <clears throat> she sees that someone's turned the light on in the guest house. So she goes for a run because we know she can run. Uh, a, big, a big point is made about it. She gets a call while she's in the guest house. And now this really pissed me off. Because she thinks that she's been on the phone for, as she says, 60 seconds. Bullshit. I timed this myself whilst we were watching the film. And it was 23 seconds. Unbelievable. And then when she puts the phone down, she's like, he got the wrong phone line. And then she does another windy run to the house. Because, um, yeah, she's, win- she's running in the wind um, for dramatic effect. And then she gets another phone call once she gets in there. And this one is accurately longer than a minute. I'll give her that. Accurately longer. And then um, and she says, what do you want? And he says, I want your blood all over me. And she's like, ugh, ew, ew. And it's like, really? Uh, then the shower gets turned on. Uh, she gets her, uh, <laughs> she gets a call saying the calls are coming from inside the house, like the original. And then there's a power cut perfectly timed. Mm. Like, somehow he knew that's exactly what was going to happen. Uh, and then she finds the corpse of Katie Cassidy, who looks like she hasn't been touched at all, even though the kids at the start of the film are apparently mangled. Yeah. Anyway, um, the kids are missing, but no, they're not missing for long, because they're hiding in a toy box. And then she's like, hey, I'm the babysitter. And they go for a run. Uh, the killer drops on the ceiling and starts chasing them. Then Jill hides the kids, gets in the pond outside... Finds Rosa's corpse, um, which looks ridiculously fake, uh, underwater. And uh, then Stranger, as he's known, is walking along the bridge that Jill's underneath and she tips him into the water, locks him outside. And then she's running around the house saying, kids, kids, it's Jill, kids. Yeah, okay, I think they know it's you, you fucking idiot. And also, you don't even know their fucking names and you're babysitting them. Are the you only serious? information the parents didn't give her was the name of the kids. Yeah. Um, and then we see some birds in the house, so we know that he's opened the door. Uh, and there's a cat eating a bird. It's as exciting as it gets. Jill then attacks a stranger. Well, he attacks her. He's trying to choke her. She turns the fire on. It shoots some uh, fire out of him. And then she stabs him in the hand with a poker, fire poker thing. Um, which doesn't make sense that she's got that because, I mean, it's an electric fire. It is, yeah. Anyway. 
Jill runs outside and runs into the police. Well, it shoots fire out because she'd thrown the alcohol bottle at it, hadn't she? Yeah, and then she she turned it on. In like a really elaborate way. She couldn't just hit him over the head with the alcohol bottle. <laughs> yeah, but she threw it at the fire so she could turn the fire on. She's a fucking idiot. Anyway, um, so she runs outside, runs to the police. They've arrested him. And uh, she's told the police will be guarding him around the clock. And she says, that's not enough. Why? Why? What the fuck's he going to do? He's being guarded by the police. He's not fucking Michael Myers. Anyway, um, they have a dramatic slow-mo stare-off, her and the stranger, who we now see looks a little bit like Kerr Smith, and he has a massive scar on his face. Oh, we know he's a bad guy now. Uh, Then Jill's in an empty hospital, gets a phone call, and uh, we get a jump scare, of course, and find out it was all a dream, and it's kind of implied that she's in a mental institute. Yeah, I wasn't... I, I didn't get that. Because the guy in the wheelchair is acting all weird, like, when it zoomed out. Um, I wasn't getting mental hospital. Either like way, it was a dumb ending for a dumb film. Yeah. Basic ending for a basic bitch film. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's One of Strange Calls 2006. Um, so, cinematography, soundtrack and scares. Oh, God. This could be short. So, um, the... Remake won the Stinker Award for Most Intrusive Sound... Oh, no, it was nominated, excuse me. Okay. For the Most Intrusive Soundtrack Award. That makes award. sense. And it's true. Um, the soundtrack is ridiculous. Yeah, um, I, I don't normally come for soundtracks. Normally, if I find something redeeming about a film, nine times out of ten it is the soundtrack, whether it's basic or not, because, you know... It's normally something you can't really fault, but with this film, the soundtrack is fucking terrible. Um, yeah, and it's it is intrusive, mm. and you get very early on in the film a what I would describe as a suspense soundtrack. Mm. You know, when nothing's actually happened. She, yeah, it's a suspense soundtrack when she's <laughs> trying on the jewelry and looking at her clothes and perfumes and stuff. Nothing's actually happened by this point. Yeah. So why are we, why are we getting a soundtrack that telling is telling us that there's some sort of danger lurking when we haven't nothing in the story has made us aware of that so far, and it it's it's what annoyed me so much about the film. It's as if it it's as if the characters knew what was coming up. Mm. Um, because she's going around that house in fucking slow-mo. Yeah. Um, she's paranoid as fuck. Heavy breathing. Yeah. And it's as if they couldn't be asked to actually create any tension because they thought that we all knew what was coming up anyway. Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, what's scary about a horror film is something like, um... The Strangers, for example. Mm. Um, you know, there's a bit of a moody atmosphere in that film because of an incident that happened prior to it. But you can tell there's a couple in a remote place, so out of nowhere, they're completely shocked when things start going down. They don't know how to react to it because it's an unexpected circumstance. And that's what makes it scary. Vacancy, you know. I mean, these are films released around the same time as this. Vacancy was maybe released the same year, you know you've got a couple that, have, yeah, they've been through a bad circumstance. They go to a place 
and then they find something, it genuinely terrifies them, and when they're attacked, they're not prepared because they don't know what's about to happen. It's been going through films for centuries, you know, it's scary when your characters are caught off guard. This bitch was prepared right from the get-go. Yeah. There was no reason as to why she should have been. No. She had no bad history. She had no bad circumstance. The worst thing happening in her life at that point was a boyfriend kissed a friend and she was grounded for running up a phone bill. Yeah. That's it. And so what? we know what's coming up. We do know what's coming up. But the filmmakers aren't meant to showcase No. That. You know, we, we sit here and we watch a horror film. We know something's going to happen. Yeah. yeah we're, we're not dumb. No, you know, we, we know that something terrible is going to yeah. happen to these characters. Which is why you have to look at other ways of building that mm. tension or yeah, making us care. I didn't care about any no. of these characters whatsoever. You know, you look at something like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original, or even the remake, mm. really... I care about this. I know something. It's called the fucking Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. But I care about these characters. And it's within the building of the character, but also building of the tension Mm -hmm. in different ways that creates an enthralling film. Mm -hmm. I didn't care about this film. No. Because I didn't feel like the filmmakers cared. No. It was just like... Oh, here's your story, you know, we're just going to play it out and see what happens. Absolutely. And obviously, you know, we're here to compare original to remake. And, you know, uh, we, we began with soundtrack. The original is a great example of how a soundtrack should be used. Oh, a fantastic soundtrack. The score is fantastic. It's really It good. is so good really throughout good. every moment of the film. Yeah. Um, you know, it's used perfectly to expert standard. Um, and I gave it an extra start for the soundtrack. You know, it's in that opening sequence, which you basically got for the whole film of the 2006 version, it's practically silent yeah. until we know what's going on. You know, Carol Kane, she's unaware, she's just a babysitter, normal person. Yes, we don't know a lot about her, but at that point we didn't need to. She was just a babysitter. That's mm. it. That's all you needed to know. Yeah. And that's why it's effective. You know, it's just someone doing the favour for someone and then they're getting this harassment, you know? Yeah, and there's uh, when she realises, you know, that something's mm. off... Um, I can't remember if it, it have you checked the children the first have you mm. checked the children, but it's that I can't really do it like yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And especially uh, when she's told the calls come from inside the house, the soundtrack really attaches yeah. there. And that's and when that's you... how it's meant to work. Yeah. That's how it works. But that that noise that's made is was actually used for something afterwards. Mm. Uh, is it like, is it like the special effects or something or THX? Is it THX? Yeah, it's like, it's like the THX noise. Yeah. No, it um, is. It actually is. They took it from this film. Oh, did they? Oh, yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, they actually, if I remember correctly, they actually took it from this film. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, that's, yeah. that is that noise, yeah. Oh, a version of, a version of THX's The Deep Note yeah. can be heard when the killer is near. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's fantastic. It is, it is. I've, I know I recognise it. And then cinematography, again, 2006, looks like every other fucking film released at that time. Yeah, There is nothing good about the cinematography in this film at all. No. You know, I mean, some might argue maybe the killer when he's in the shadows and stuff, but no, because at that point you don't give a shit. You no. don't need it to be suspenseful at that point because no one cares. Everyone's fucking bored. Yeah. Everyone's probably asleep by that stage. No one fucking cares what he looks like. Just show his face. Who cares? Yeah. Why have to fucking scar on his face if you're not going to show him? Um, the original has got some really good cinematography in it. Yeah. I, I think especially the scene where she sees the shadow in the house. That is fucking great. Yeah. That looks amazing. Um and uh, that leads me on to scares. You know, the scares in the original, the first 15 minutes and the final 15 minutes are so intense. So, so, so intense. And, you know, there was even a bit in the middle where, you know, where before we've seen uh, the, the Tracy character, before we've seen that she, you know, doesn't know how to handle own her own apartment and always leaves a fucking door open. Before we see that she was that stupid, it was quite intense when he was following her. Mm. You know, it mm. it was... Even though it loses itself in the middle of bit, it, you know, the whole film, there what did have its moments. Um, again, no, there's nothing scary about the remake. No. There's not a single bit in that film that is scary at all. No. No. It's bit, again, because it, it, it can't surprise you. No. Because it I mean, tells because you. you don't care. I, yeah. don't, I did not care. Nothing can be scary if I don't care about it. It's like the opening sequence where, I mean, you know, the killer, first of all, he got his victim's name wrong, but he's meant to be this fucking expert. And, and then we see that he kills someone. So, okay, great. You know what story you're in for now. Mm. You know, why even include that at this beginning? Yeah. The, it's, it's just absolutely pointless. It's it's what all the two thousands remakes did. They had to include a little scene at the start just to let you know what film you're watching. Yeah. You fucking know. Great. But the whole scene at the start is telling us that he is such a bloodthirsty killer that he's completely mangled these children with his own bare hands. With his own bare hands, whereas when it actually comes to the film. All he does to Tiffany and Rosa is strangle them, I'm assuming. There's not a cut or a bruise on them. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't even go after the children. He kind of lets the children go and he just goes after Jill. Doesn't he? Yeah. So if if he's a babysitter murderer, then okay. That makes sense. Mm. But we're led to believe... Because they just had to get that reference to the original in there. Yeah. That he is a child murderer. Mm-hmm. And it just... I don't know. It, it just makes no sense. And it, it's just that sort of lazy filmmaking that I hate. Yeah. You know? And so I'm sure that confirms that for cinematography, soundtrack and scares, the winner is the original. Yes. Of course. Yes. Um... Characters. So, 
We've got Jill Johnson. In the original, she's played by Carol Kane, and unfortunately, in the remake, she's played by Camilla Bell. Now, Carol Kane, I think, is superb in the original. Yes. I think uh, her breakdown in the restaurant scene is so effective. You can tell she puts 110% into that scene, especially. Um, you know, she is fantastic in the role. Uh, and brilliant actress in general, you know. Oh, yeah, I love Carol Kane. As a character, you know, Jill, again, we only see her at the beginning and the end of the original, but even within that time, you still feel attached to her because, obviously, she's been through this shit, you know? It's it's a difficult one because I, I do feel like Jill's story it would have been the most interesting yeah, one yeah, to have I, seen Yeah, I'd have liked to have seen that for, for the whole film. Um... And apparently the with the sequel it is. Mm. Okay. Um, it's a little disappointing for me in regards to this film that you only get the beginning and then you get the end with her. Yeah. When she could have really been the heart of the piece. Mm-hmm. Um and, and and we're gonna keep saying this and I will keep saying it. The middle loses it yeah. for me because it doesn't focus on anybody and it doesn't, it's not really saying or doing anything no. with any of the characters when it really could be. You know, you look at the Halloween sequel that mm. came out in 2018. The whole idea of that film was dealing with. PTSD, really. Yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, that's how when a stranger calls could have been. If you're gonna, if you have to make a feature length film, from what should just be a fifteen minute short film, mm-hmm. then you're gonna have to pull a little focus somewhere. Yeah. And it didn't. But no. um, sorry, I'm going on a little tangent there. But I I thought Carol Kane was fantastic in the yeah. scenes that she was, and they're really the only scenes that I cared about. Yeah, likable character, um, Camilla Bell, awful actress in I, that film. I don't awful. know how I never realized how bad her performance was in this really film. Really bad. It is so bad. It, it, everything just sounds fake. You, you know it's a performance. Uh, you know, Carol Kane loses herself in her role. Camilla Bell was just there for a paycheck. It's very obvious. Um, you know, I mean, she's not a fan of horror films anyway, to say in the trivia. Uh, but her, you know, her portrayal of Jill Johnson as a character as well, you know, we don't give a shit about her because we don't, you know, in, in the way you don't know anything about her in the original is a different kind of way because it's a little more realistic. In this, it's very, very, you know, you know it's a film you're watching. You know this is a character. You know, particularly, this is like a character from a teen drama. You know? This yeah, is, it was, yeah. It's, it, there's nothing to be invested in here. No. You know, you know she can run. You know she ran up her phone bill. You know she's angry at her boyfriend. That's it. That's all you know. Yeah. It, there's nothing interesting about this character at all, and there's nothing interesting about the performance. No. So well done, Carol Kane. Yeah, I think we're maybe a little biased because we love Carol Kane. So I mean, I, I everything Carol Kane's been in, I've loved mm. her in. So. Well, the interesting thing is, I mean, there's only one more character to compare between original and remake, which is of course Kurt Duncan, who is just known as the Stranger. Yeah. In the remake, 
I mean, you know, I can't really complain at Tommy Flanagan because what does he do? There's nothing really he can do more than what he did. He just yeah, ran just around the house there. in the shadows. Yeah. You know, that's fair, you know, fair enough. It's not awful. Which which is interesting. To, it's an interesting idea. Um, I, I can't... Are there any other films that have their killer sort of shrouded in shadow? Really? Tell me. Halloween. Michael Myers is called The Shape. We see him, don't <laughs> Yeah, we? but you look at the first one, he's mainly kept in the background, in the shadows. That's, that's the whole idea of him. That's why they called him The Shape. Yeah, but he's wearing a mask. Yes, I know, but... I mean, there's not there's not another film where it's someone's completely in shadows. No, but no, that's but, the closest but then, thing. But then also, the stranger in this film isn't in the film enough. No, I I think if you know he'd been in the whole film, then it would have been a little ridiculous. But it's like when you see his face at the end, they act like it's meant to be this massive deal. It's like, oh, what? It's got a scar on it. Big fucking yeah. deal. Well, I said this: the remake would only have worked with what they were doing. If it turned out to be somebody she knew yeah. and have a twist ending, you know, and have the irony of the title being When a Stranger Calls, when in fact it was somebody she knew all along, mm-hmm. that would have made the film interesting. Yeah. But because they made it some random guy that snuck into the house mm. and you still don't really understand why, you know he was doing what he was doing, really, except he's a psycho, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, then the length of the film doesn't make any sense. The premise of the film doesn't make any sense. Um, the fact that she didn't actually get that many calls to begin with no. doesn't make any sense. The first time she got a really threatening call was like 40 minutes in. And also, a big issue that I had is that in 2006... Somebody calling from inside the same house because they all have mobile phones. Mm. Everybody seemed to have a mobile phone in this. Um, yeah. Actually, the whole premise of the film is based on the fact that she had a mobile phone, mm-hmm. but she ran up her bill too high. Yeah. That's the only reason she's even there. Mm-hmm. So, every the whole idea of the caller being inside the house isn't even that shocking. No. It's like, yeah, the caller's inside the house. Oh, okay. Oh, it's got a mobile phone. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Uh, the whole film is about her phone addiction. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then you've got Lance Henriksen who does the own voice, um, you know, yeah. it's whatever. It's just doing his best scream impression, isn't he? Yeah. And it's it's all... Uh, uh, all the memorable lines are taken straight from the yeah. original film anyway. Yeah. Um, and then you've got Tom Beckley who plays Kirk Duncan... He plays a good psychopath, you know. Yeah. I mean, you see his face, which was unusual. It was unusual because obviously this is coming off the back of Halloween, where you know, like Chris said, you got Michael Myers wearing a mask. This just shows you straight up who your killer is. You know, it's it's not messing about. You know, this is who's doing it, and I think to a certain extent that does make it more scary. It makes him more human. You know, which is a very real threat. Y- yes. But obviously, they spend so long on him. Like in the, in this middle section, yeah, that you know, you don't know whether you're meant to feel sorry for him, and this is where the writing gets a little messy in the middle yeah. section. Yeah, I didn't think it focused on him enough. If the middle section was going to be about him 
and his psychosis mm. and his deterioration. Because the, the doctor, after he escaped, the doctor said he'll be fine for now. He won't go out killing people, but he'll start to deteriorate. Yeah. And it reminded me of a film, um, oh, that video nasty. Oh, da- Nightmares in a Damaged Brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think if they did maybe uh, a more sophisticated version of that, mm. that would have been interesting. Yeah. You know, giving you pure taxi driver, mm-hmm. I thought. Yeah. With him and Colleen Dewhurst, um, all that business, it could have been great. But it kind of focused a little bit on him and he had a little bit of a breakdown with his ass out <laughs> in front of the mirror. Yeah. And that was it. And then it focused a little bit on Charles Durning and his character and his obsession. It focused ever so slightly on Colleen Dewhurst's character. Mm. She came and, and went pretty quick without really doing anything. Yeah. And I just thought if it had pulled focus in the middle and brought it all together a little more, it could have been a great character it study. It could have. Because he's not... He wasn't... If he had just been like Nightmares in a Damaged Brain, mm. where he's going around killing people and he's a serial killer... Yeah. Then, okay, cool. But, you know, make it a video nasty. Do that. Yeah, That's you've got your R rating anyway. You might as well. Yeah. But because they didn't do that and they didn't really go in-depth enough, I just thought it was a little stale. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It, it feels like just the middle filling is just a filling that they yeah. needed. In a Carol Kane sandwich. Yeah. Um, but still, you know... Oh, better than Original the versus remake. Yeah. Tony Beckley or Tommy Flanagan and Lance Henriksen. Tony Beckley, of course. Yeah, yeah. Because actually, the, the voice that he has works yeah. so well. It does. With those phone calls. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then just to, you know, like I said... Really, there's no other connections with characters between original and remake. But John Clifford, who's played by Charles Durning, you know, Charles Durning gives a great performance. Um, again, you know, uh, it's just going over what we've already said. Yeah, Charles Durning's a great actor. He's a great actor. It's a great role. Could have been... There could have been more. I think the whole idea of him becoming obsessed with um, Kurt Duncan is, is a great idea. But mm. obviously, you know, it's not played out enough. Um, then we've got Tracy played by Colleen Dewhurst. Um, I mean, I enjoyed watching her every second, but I don't know if it's for the right reasons. Uh, she it, it just she just came across a bit of a dumb character, like a little. She's like, shut your door, close your yeah. door, lock your door. I mean, she's yeah. I, I, she started off pretty cool. To be fair, she was a uh, um, take no shit character. Yeah. So I always like to see from an old Hollywood star because she. Um, I don't think she was particularly famous, really. Um, she was married to George C. Scott mm. twice. I think that was maybe... She was in a lot of films with him um, more than uh, anything else. But yeah. seen an old-school actress deliver some uh, some bitchy lines. Mm-hmm. Always, always, always fun to watch. Always entertaining. And then, of course, in the remake, you've got Tiffany and Scarlet, played by Katie Cassidy and Tessa Thompson. Who? Absolute throwaway characters. 
don't know her. I love Katie Cassidy, I love Tessa Thompson, but these characters, honestly, they didn't need to exist. Uh, Tessa Thompson's more so. Yeah. It, it was so pointless. And it, did you even need to kill Cal? No, no, you didn't. But uh, why couldn't it have not just been her in the house? Yeah. Like the first yeah. one. There were too many characters in the remake. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole... It was scary, the first 15 minutes of the original, because it was just her mm-hmm. and the man on the other end of the phone. Yeah, That's there's scary. no sense of isolation. Like, oh, our, step, our, our, our son might come back and be in the guest house. Oh, you also have a maid. Oh, here's Katie Cassidy. There's no isolation there because everyone keeps fucking turning up. Exactly. But the whole idea was that the house was... Super isolated. Yeah. That was the whole idea. This big house that she's had... Well, her dad's had to drive a long way to get mm-hmm. there. But she's not isolated because fucking Tiffany turns up and leaves within the space of ten minutes. Yeah. So, overall, obviously, the original mm. is... A million times better than the remake. Yeah. Whilst the original still isn't a perfect film, it's still much better, and it's still a film I highly recommend to watch at least once. Um, it's uh, it was the inspiration for Scream, the opening sequence of Scream. So yeah. you know yeah. it's, it's had its impact on pop culture. Yeah, I I would say if you, it may be on YouTube. I don't know. Um, it'd be worth buying it on yeah. DVD. Yeah, Second or Sight have done a fantastic release of it. Yeah, they have. It was with, great. Yeah, with the sequel, with the soundtrack on a separate CD. Yeah, and, you know, it's definitely worth buying. I recommend watching it. Um, would I rewatch it again? No. Would I rewatch the first fifteen minutes? Yes, of course. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, you know, usually we do our best and worst of the month. Obviously. We know what's going on around us. Obviously, you know, it's uh, it's the only time we'll mention this on here. Obviously, the whole coronavirus thing's going on. Um, but we don't need to tell you that. You know, you, you're all human beings. You all got social media, I assume. Um, this is a place to come and listen to stuff, laugh at things, get some information on horror films and be entertained. So we ain't going to drone on about it. Um, that's not really fair on you guys. You... You know, we don't come here to listen to that. Um, so this that's the only time we'll mention it. Again, we're not going to mention it again, but we are going to have to change around our best and worst of the month. Uh, obviously, with cinema shutting down, we haven't got to see that many new films. Uh, we've already mentioned our favourite and least favourite new films of the month when we did our uh, little bit on Glasgow Fright Fest a few episodes back. So our favourite new release is St. Maud. Our least favourite is In the Quarry. So... Means we've already spoke about those. We'll give you our favourite and least favourite uh, films that we've watched for the first time ourselves uh, that aren't necessarily new. So, would you like to go first, Chris? Yeah, so uh, this week I've been doing a bit of a Brian De Palma marathon. Uh, we've been going through his films, haven't we? Yes. Um, as many as we can from start to end, really. Yeah. Um, and just the other night I watched Blowout for the first time and I thought it was a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. I thought it was everything great about a Brian De Palma film all rolled up into one. Um, really thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I'm astonished I hadn't seen it before. That is a good remake. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't think they'd call it a remake, but... 
I think most of Brian De Palma films are kind of remakes of other films. Mm. Um, he wears his influences on his sleeves, um, but gives it the Brian De Palma twist. Um, I, I mean, I think he's very similar to Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. In there are aspects of the films we were like, okay, I've seen that, I've seen that, I've seen that, but I ain't seen it like this before. Mm-hmm. You know, and so props to him. Yeah, really thoroughly enjoyed Blowout. And my least favourite is another Brian De Palma film, unfortunately, because what I've realised is Brian De Palma can't do comedy. Yeah. Um, And it was... um, I'm struggling to decide between the two. It's either The Wedding Party, which was stupid... um, super boring and we had to stop watching yeah or it's um home movies which was so fucking stupid and not funny that it it started to annoy me and i had to switch it off um i'm gonna go with the wedding party because it was fucking boring Mm -hmm. and there's nothing i hate more than a boring film yeah. Yeah, and somehow I still watched something that was worse than that. Uh, so, I started my worst of the month is Deadly Manor. Uh, we first started watching some Jose Laras films last year, and Arrow Video released a box set, and I was surprised. I was expecting to laugh at them. I, I didn't make it be very good, uh, but you know what? He's a decent filmmaker, but he could not make a fucking slasher film to save his life. Me and Chris tried watching this together. Chris fell asleep and I didn't wake him up because I'm a good boyfriend and <laughs> I thought it'd be cruel to wake him up and put him through this shit. Nothing happens in it. Absolutely fuck all happens in it until a questionable twist at the end uh, which says a lot about you know how women are only happy when they're beautiful um, and they kill people when they're not. So, um, yeah, it's fucking terrible. Can't recommend it at all. I don't know why Arrow have released it. Uh, they also released Edge of the Axe, another Jose Laras slasher film that was terrible, but nowhere near as bad as this. It's honestly the worst slasher film I've ever seen in my life. Um, and my best of the month is David, David Fincher's Seven, which is the first time I've ever watched it, which is shocking. Um, but yeah, it's exactly what everyone says it is. It's a masterpiece brilliant twist ending brilliant performances um just a perfect film in every way yeah nothing I, I, about it that yeah. i dislike you know nothing brilliant yeah yeah so that's our best and worst of the month yeah yeah hopefully in the next month we'll have some new films to talk about even if we just watch some new films on streaming services yeah i quite enjoy sort of talking about our best and worst new films that we've seen for the yeah. first time anyway or yeah we could keep that up yeah yeah I, I think I'll be keeping on with um going through certain director's filmographies yeah or, or certain actors or actresses filmographies and, and such yeah I mean so. we're, you know we're gonna have a lot more time to watch more films so yeah. we will have more to explore and talk with you about next month yes. but we will be back next week as always on Tuesday we will be coming at you with an Easter special episode where we're talking about the Beaster Bunny. Yeah. <laughs> Never seen it. Brought it randomly in CX for 50p. Yeah. What could go wrong? Yeah. 
<laughs> a lot. Uh, so if you're listening on social media, I know what the votes have told us, but tell us, what do you prefer about the remake? Please, there's 17% of people. Tell us, what did you like about this fucking When a Stranger Calls remake? We'd love to know. Um, let us know, you know, what films you've watched this month, what you enjoyed and what you didn't enjoy. And, uh, yeah, we're a Horror Court Trash over on Facebook and Instagram, Horror Court Trash on Twitter. I'm Gazmo205 on Instagram, GazCruise92 on Twitter, and DeadAtGaz92 on Letterboxd. I am ChrisBarker823 on Letterboxd, Instagram, and Twitter. And, as always, if you're listening on iTunes, drop us a rate review and subscribe. Uh, like and follow and everything else. And we will see you on Tuesday. Bye.